0: You are listening to The Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the editor of The Farewell, Matt Friedman. Hello, everybody, and you're listening to another episode of The Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Will Mavity, and I have with us editor Matt Friedman. Matt, how are you?
1: Well, thank you for having me on, Will. Well,
0: We're more than happy to. So everyone has been talking about The Farewell all summer. It was really the, the lone Sundance narrative film that actually took off at the box office. So you should uh, be feeling pretty happy about that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. Um, and, you know, happy on a level, two is I, I, I went to see it at the Arclight here in Hollywood um because prior to it coming out I had never seen it with a real you know an audience of real people yeah um and it, as the movie ended uh, uh just some guy I didn't know him sitting behind us said to turn to his friend and said well I'm going to go call my grandma oh and that you know really more than anything that kind of knowing that it's getting that kind of response and is making human connections uh That's exactly what Lulu wanted from the movie. So that we have helped facilitate that uh, is beyond our dreams.
0: Well, I saw it twice and both times I heard quite a few sniffles throughout the theater and I don't think it was because of the flu. So good. Good. I love making people cry.
1: (laughs) I'm one of the few occupations where I can say that and not be mean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're, You're not a preschool teacher, so that's a good thing to hear. Correct. So how did you go, because much of your background has been editing films, mainstream comedies, which I love, by the way, like John Tucker Must Die and the Scary Movie Mm -hmm. series. How did you end up working with Lulu on something that's pretty serious and weighty and pretty different from a lot of your previous projects?
1: Well, there's a two pronged answer to that. So I started my career, like you said, in these sort of broad studio comedies. And don't get me wrong. They are very fun to work on. And I had a blast working on them. And there's something to be said, you know, for working on a movie where there is a budget to do whatever you want to do within reason. Um, but at a point I wanted to start working on stuff that was more character driven, that was a little more risky. Um, And that meant stepping away from the studio comedies and starting to cut these little indie movies. Um, so I did that and I cut a number of those that were outside, you know, my normal comedy genre. And through the course of doing that, um, one of my agents at UTA called me up one day and said, Hey, we have this young director. She's a first time director. Um, she has a cut of a movie that she knows can be better. Would you like to take a look at it and see if you think you can help? And that was Lulu's first movie. She was in Berlin at the time still because that's where they were cutting it. And I watched the movie and we talked a couple times on Skype and uh, she said, "Well, why don't you come to Berlin?" And she seemed like a great uh, great woman. Um, I'd never been to Berlin before. The movie had Britt Marlene and Jack Huston in it and some really good performances. So I went, spent the summer in Berlin, and we got along great, Lulu and I. So I did a short for her after that and uh, came on to the farewell as well. And I'm looking forward to the next thing. Um, that's how I met Lulu, how I started to make the transition away from broad comedy uh, you know, was the other little indie films that I had cut along the way.
0: So would you say then Lulu, it sounds like is a pretty hands-on director in the editing room?
1: Hmm. Well, yes, but don't mistake that for meaning not collaborative. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll tell you an anecdote from, from that first, um, movie that i did the recut on that pretty well explains our process of how we worked together so there was a scene where um there was a character who who was talking to another character and the first character says a line walks across you know take a takes a couple steps towards the other character and then says their next line so the first thing i did when i arrived in Berlin was I went through and as I usually do when I'm in recutting situations, I go through and I take a lot of air and meaningless, you know, walking around or lines that don't mean anything or pauses that aren't important to the story. And I take all that stuff out. So I did that on the first reel and we got to this scene and Lulu and I watched the scene and she said, Oh, I see what you've done there. You sort of jumped him across the room under the reaction shot of the other character, but maybe we can just put a few frames back. So we put a few back and we kept working on. And then on the next pass, we stopped at this moment again. And I said, "Um, I'm just going to take a few more frames, a a little bit of air out of here. And so we watched that change. And she was, "Ah, how about split the difference? And so I stopped and I turned to her and I said, maybe there's something I'm not understanding about this moment because I keep wanting to cut it and you keep wanting to loosen it back up. What's actually going on in this character's mind who's talking right now? And she explained to me that the character who was delivering the line was actually nervous to deliver the line to the other character because he had really done something not good and hypocritical and was kind of um, outing himself on it to this other character. I said, oh, okay. The reason I think I didn't get that was because back here in this earlier scene, that really isn't clear. That got cut around in a weird way. So let's go back and fix this. And then we'll go and we'll put those frames back because now they're not empty frames anymore. They actually mean something. And so we did. And, and that's. Our process, Lulu and my process in the editing room is to talk through everything in excruciating detail (laughs) and, and make sure that we both fully understand what every character is thinking, what's going through their minds, what their conflict is, what their goal is, what their fear is, why they're saying the things that they're saying literally at every point throughout the movie. Because if you as an editor, especially if you don't understand that, you can't cut a performance that's going to feel genuine, right? So if Lulu has given a, an actor specific direction on a set and the editor misinterprets that and is trying to cut the performance with a slightly different meaning, it's going to feel fake. Right. So that's the process that we go through. And, you know, sometimes it means uh, me as an editor playing devil's advocate challenging the director saying, well, maybe it would be a better way to tell the story if we did this, you know, and coming up with ideas to sharpen the original intention. But it always goes back to collaborating and understanding what the intention in the story actually is and striving towards that goal.
0: So in that line of thinking, there were a couple of interesting sh- moments I saw in The Farewell that I was curious if you're willing to uh, talk about a little bit. One of them in particular was where Aquafina is in a bathroom and it cuts to a shot of a baby and it's like a poster of it that says, aren't I cute or something. What was the, the mindset behind that particular cutaway because I thought that was a really interesting moment
1: there's so much really interesting flavor, uh, in moments like that from Lulu. And, you know, there, it was just creating sort of the, the tension of, and the bizarreness of the situation of Aquafina sitting in that bathroom contemplating her grandma's death. I hope I'm not This is coming out so late, there'll be no more spoilers, right?
0: (laughs) Uh, I always have to bite my tongue a little. Yeah, this isn't Star Wars. I think you're fine. Uh,
1: And, you know, creating that juxtaposition of happiness and happy imagery and the sadness of the reality, it sort of mirrors the lie that they're all constructing in the course of the film as well. That was really the motivation behind that.
0: What about the shot? There's a shot in the hotel room where you spend, I would say, maybe even 15 seconds on a ribbon that's fluttering in the air vent. I I thought that was a really striking moment.
1: Yeah, you know, and we had uh, we had a number of discussions about how long exactly how long to stay on that shot. And, you know, sometimes um, because because I do come from a studio comedy background. It's kind of ingrained in in my soul to cut quickly. Sure. And obviously in the farewell there are a lot of moments that are not cut quickly. <laughs> and some of those, many of those were very easy to cut slowly. And I still did not fully turn my back on my you know my quick cutting upbringing um the rest of the movie is actually cut fairly snappily um that has the added benefit of that when you hit these moments that are slower boy do they really stand out a lot of times i'll go on and um do recuts especially on indie films So I get to see like the first take uh, on a film that may not be fully working. And a lot of times if it isn't, it's because everything is cut in the same pace. And um, so nothing stands out. The, The moments that actually really are meant to be slow for a reason don't stand out. And in fact, the opposite happens because you train the audience that moments of stillness and silence have no meaning right? You've trained them mm-hmm. all throughout the course of the movie that that's just the rhythm of this film. And, uh, if you ever sit in a screening on one of those early cuts, you can actually feel the audience tuning out of the movie. The shot in the hotel room was one where I remember, and it happened, I think like this happened, I think twice where turned to Lulu and I said, are are you sure you really want the shot for that long? You know, we had discussed what was going on and, and her uh, intention for that moment. And I was like, are you sure you really want it that long? And, and she would say, yeah, trust me on this one, Matt. So I would go, okay. (laughs) And I, and I would trust her and, you know, she, she was always right because it's her vision. And, Sure. It could have been cut differently and it could have been cut more shorter and maybe that would have been better, but probably it would have just been different. You know what I mean?
0: I liked that. I mean, it definitely communicated a sense of awkwardness and powerlessness. So, I mean, I, I think yeah. you're right. Uh, she knew what she was doing. What would you say was the most difficult sequence to cut? Because as you said, some of it's very fast paced, like the, the wedding scene it gets frenetic at one point.
1: This is a yeah, this is this is a no brainer for me. The hardest scene that we cut in that movie was the scene that takes place in the restaurant where um, the mom tells the story about the piano. Mm. Right. So this film, uh, that scene, it was it's so dense in uh cultural information and background and the reason that the characters are arguing what they're arguing and the conflicts that they are facing within themselves and within society that are being discussed in that scene were so alien to me Mm -hmm. as an American, um, you know, with little experience in that culture I, I was having extreme difficulty wrapping my head around what the story of that scene was supposed to be, even though Lulu and I would sit and we would talk about it in great detail. It was mm-hmm. just there were so many alien concepts in it. There were there was also in the first cut of it a lot of other stuff going on in the scene. It was much longer, um, but it felt overwhelming. How. Do you cut that scene so that it becomes clear to American audiences uh, or you know really other audiences across the world who are not immigrant or Asian um clear to them and yet not so expositional that it feels false to those people who understand the issues that are being talking talk- talked about, right? We actually, We actually put off doing that scene time and time and time again, and we would come around to it and we would talk about it some more, but then we wouldn't do anything because it just felt so overwhelming. And finally, we just we had run out of time. We had done everything else. I think we had two days left before uh, my plane ticket back to L.A. from New York. And so we were like, fuck. Can I say fuck?
0: (laughs) You can say fuck.
1: We were like, fuck okay, we got to do this now. So the first thing I did was I sat down and I went through and I, I cut it viciously to the bone so that literally the only thing in the scene was servicing the most important aspect of the story. Um, all the other sort of flavor and flourishes of the scene, I removed. And that gave us the ability to watch the scene and see if that main through line story worked once we got that working, we then started layering back in some of these other ideas and some of these other you know pieces of dialogue and asides uh, and figuring out what lines we could change uh, you know is putting them off camera and adjust them slightly so that the concepts would be more clear to English-speaking audiences in the you know um, and yet, not feel like a fake written line, and uh, that scene, you know, went from one in its first form that had a lot of people confused to being a, a, a lot of people's favorite scenes. And the the L.A. Times critic actually picked that scene out specifically um, and called it one of the movie uh, called it the movie's most unresolved and poignant scenes, is I think what she said. Um, So it was really, you know, it was really, it was really satisfying to come up against something that was that hard to do and work so hard and struggle with it so much and then get it to a place strongest most unresolved scene that's what the la times critic said she called it the movie's strongest most unresolved scene it's such a good moment to arrive at that you know after such struggle yeah definitely the hardest scene in the film to cut hands down
0: well obviously you touched on a lot of this but i mean tell me a little bit more about because i'm just gonna take a gander here and say that you are not fluent in mandarin I am not. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about editing a film in general that is almost entirely in another language.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I've done it before. I've done it a couple times before. I I cut a feature um, some years ago that was mostly, it was maybe half in Spanish, and I don't speak any Spanish, What I ended up doing was just having a translator sit next to me. And it actually wasn't that hard. Once I got used to the rhythm of doing that, working with the translator, um, it became quite easy. Mandarin took me by surprise because what I realized very quickly is not only are the words different, the entire sentence structure is different. So in Mandarin, the emotional content of the line may come at the end But in the English translation, the most important emotional part of the line may be at the beginning. And so cutting a performance in Mandarin and choosing when you're going to cut away to the other character listening is different from what it would be in English. And it also made it extremely difficult to judge performance because you could sense when a character was emoting, but that emotion was not attached to the same point of the line in the English translation, right?
0: Oh my God.
1: So it was a lot of Lulu translating for me and then having to have her translate literally, both literally and you know idiomatically or colloquially or you know the the true intent of the line and reconciling those two in the edit finding something that worked um for both the translation and the native mandarin
0: that sounds like a hell of a task
1: it yes it (laughs) it was tricky for sure
0: well good for you man that sounds very difficult, but one other spot I was curious about is the film has a really striking musical element to it. Um, how closely did you work with Alex Weston on this? Uh,
1: yeah, unfortunately, not very closely. I, one of the downsides to working on films of lower budget levels is the editor doesn't get to be around terribly much um in between locking picture and the mix
0: mm.
1: um and plus he was in new york and i was in la so it was difficult um on other films i do work closely with the composers and i think we may have done this a couple of times with alex's cues i can't remember off the top of my head but The composers will send like a rough draft of the score cue by cue uh, as they're going through and writing it, and we will load it into the Avid and we'll lay it up against the picture. Lulu and I will talk about how the score should be functioning, what it needs to be supporting, what it needs to be staying away from, sometimes in order to facilitate that conversation back with the composer. I'll do a little bit of really rough cutting of the score and move stuff around so that we can send something back to them and say, "This is kind of what we were thinking about in this moment. Um, we kind of, we want to have this moment playing in the clear. We want the music to drop out for this, and now you can see how that functions. And of course, it doesn't work when I cut it, right? Because right. I do a very sort of ham-fisted, rough job of cutting it. Uh, but then they take that and uh, you know can rewrite the music to accommodate those intentions and, and more importantly, understand more clearly what we're trying to achieve and offer us even better solutions on how to do that. So there, there is normally some bouncing back and forth between composers and editorial. And a lot of times also, you know, it goes the other way as well. I, I always tell composers when I'm cutting you know, hey, if you ever need anything from me, if you have like an idea and you need more space in the scene or I've jammed some dialogue up too much and there's something you'd like to try musically there, let me know and I'll open it up for you. Some editors, you know, won't do that. They're like, the picture is what the picture is. You got to score to that. But I, I, I don't believe that. I'm, you know, in addition to cutting comedy, I've also cut a lot of music. And to me, it's all one in the same, right? Yeah. In a well cut film, the dialogue, the rhythm of the dialogue, the rhythm of the picture cuts, the rhythm of the music, the rhythm of the sound effects, even the rhythm of the movements that character makes characters make, it all falls into this one overarching rhythm of the scene. And scenes that I cut, I teach at AFI. Oh wow. And what I'll do is I'll take a scene that I've cut. And you can actually find the rhythm of the scene. And if you start knocking on the table, right, knocking the rhythm of the scene out, you'll start seeing how picture cuts, how words that are emphasized in the dialogue, how movements of arms, how music, it all starts falling and it lands on those knock beats. Try it with any well-cut movie by any good editor. You'll see the same thing. It's pretty amazing.
0: I noticed honestly, this film definitely felt almost musical. I see what you mean on this. Like, it, it, it was fascinating to see the speeds of everything change throughout. I mean, there are moments I almost felt like I was being taken on a ride. Mm. So, regarding the music, also, uh, were you involved in picking the two great songs to end the film with? <laughs> the Sins of Dirty and uh, Elena Boynton's Come Healing cover?
1: Uh, no, those were songs that Lulu knew from pre production that she wanted. The cover had not been manufactured yet. They actually did that for the film. Right. We sat down and we had a lot of discussion about how the tone of what about the tone of the original was working? What about the tone? Of the original could be improved uh, gave those very sort of detailed notes to the music people who created the song Um, when the song came back we ended up doing a a tiny smidge of reworking on it because the vocals were ended up being thicker Mm. than the original Leonard Cohen song and there was something we found about the spareness of the vocals of the original that was much sadder than the first version uh, of the cover. So we adjusted that. And then there was also one moment in particular that we realized after the fact that even though the backing vocals in the original were very spare, there was one key moment where the people who made the original, I didn't like, I don't know whose idea it was, You know, if it was the mixer or the producer or Leonard Cohen's, but they, they actually double up the background singers once and once only. And it has a, a really powerful impact because, again, it's a shift in pace. It's yeah. something you haven't heard up to that point in the song, and it gives you shivers in the song. And that was missing from the cover. And we realized this when we were – we went up to Skywalker Ranch and did like three days of touch-ups on the mix. Um after the original mix was done and we sat there with the mixer and uh we're saying what can we do here um because at that point you know the song was recorded we were on the stage there was no way you know to record any additional elements we had what we had and uh, the mixer said you guys go have lunch um i have an idea I'll just play it for you when you, when we come back and he had done some really down and dirty editing and created this own little cheat, pulling something from a different, um, part of the song. And even though it technically didn't work, he mixed it in just low enough that it had the desired effect. And we got back to that. Um, we got that little emotional hit that we had been missing. So Yeah, it's always stuff like that, you know, even beyond just picking. Um, There was a sequence uh, in a movie that I did called What Happens in Vegas. Yeah. Where two of the characters uh, are having this drunken night together. And um, in that instance, I picked all those songs myself, which is a little unusual, but they were – you know, for an editor to do that. Yeah. But they were so tied to the construction of that sequence. And I went through and I did all the beat matching and I did, I recreated uh, you know, sort of the poor man's DJ remix of all these, I think there there were three cues that blended from one to the other to the next. Um, and you know, I had a a great music editor who came along behind me and really, really finessed it. But All all of that was stuff that I did in the cutting room when I was originally cutting the sequence, because, again, to me, you know, music, picture, dialogue, all that stuff is part of one. Um, So I I don't just know. I, I, I just don't know how to cut picture and leave the music for later.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I mean, uh, in this case, actually, in what happens in Vegas, it worked well. And uh, to our listeners, if you haven't listened to the music, and especially that cover that he helped match into the film so nicely of come healing. I mean, I've, I've listened to it probably 30 times. It's so good.
1: It's a beautiful song. Oh, they did. They did an amazing job uh, making that version. It is
0: stunning so before we wrap up here i always ask two questions first off what was the funniest anecdote from making the farewell um oh
1: god (laughs) uh maybe while you think about that what's the other one
0: the other question is what's next
1: right now i'm working uh on an on a film for Andy Samberg that is uh, a really sort of interesting romantic comedy, but in a in a vein that I don't think you've ever seen a romantic comedy before. Really? I don't want to say too much because obviously
0: <laughs>
1: there would be spoilers on this one.
0: Is it an indie project?
1: Yeah, it is. It is, uh, and I'm I'm only pausing because I'm trying to think back about what the funniest thing on The Farewell is, the funniest anecdote. You know, editors... Editors sadly don't get as many, like, crazy mess-up situations like people in production do.
0: You know, the Shape of Water guys told me that they buried the sound of Michael Shannon having sex in the background of almost every scene in the laboratory. So... You post guys do get to have some fun still.
1: We yeah we did yeah yeah that's true that's true. (laughs) I I'm sorry I'm drawing a blank. Oh it's totally Um, fine. Yeah I mean look I had a blast. Uh, It it was so much fun cutting with Lulu and it's one of the things that I love uh, about working with her. Oh you know what can I can I deflect? Can I pivot on that question and tell you the most fun anecdote I had from cutting her first feature? Yeah. So one weekend we got on a train and we traveled about half an hour outside of Berlin and we hopped the fence and explored an abandoned psychiatric hospital uh, that was uh, decommissioned. I believe it was in the 30s or 40s. And it's just been sitting there falling apart ever since. And you can, if you hop the fence, you can go in and you can walk around. And it really, it's like a, it's a complex of like eight buildings. And it, uh, it really was like you were walking into the setting of American horror story. Uh, And we saw the, the tubs where they would try and literally drown the crazy out of people we saw the basement cells with the tiny windows, and it's just like it's all, it's all there, and you can walk around inside this giant, gothic building, um, and and that was the most um, fun is maybe not the right word. <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: know. If but I associate fun with electroshock.
1: Moving and exciting, you know, and different. Experience <laughs> working, working on a film that I've ever had before.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking to us about the farewell. And, oh, thank you. You know, I, I wish you the best of luck this award season, too, since we are Thanks. first and foremost an Oscar podcast. And hopefully, the farewell factors in. I'd love to see you show up in the ACE Comedy Awards, too. Uh,
1: that would be beyond a dream.
0: It really would.
1: As long as people are laughing and crying, though,
0: I'm happy. Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Well, thank you again so much.
0: Hey, everyone. You have been listening to Will Mabbity's interview with the editor for The Farewell, Matt Freeman. The Farewell is currently available on digital to rent or purchase and will be available on Blu-ray in a few days' time. You have been listening to The Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.